And as for what comes next, what's the fear from that? As Mark Twain put it, quote, I do not fear death. I had been dead for billions and billions of years before I was born and had not suffered the slightest inconvenient from it. Inconvenience, unquote. But the NPP keeps warning that it's a jungle out there and only the ramparts of civilization can protect us from, quote, being devoured from within by rasping parasites, unquote. And the rest of nature, red in tooth and claw, waiting to pounce. I recently came across an excellent example of this dark propaganda while watching one of those ubiquitous nature specials about great white sharks. Quote, monsters of the deep, as the narrator kept calling them. The show opens with a cute seal happily frolicking through the waves for a few seconds before the ominous music starts to build. We catch a glimpse of a large shadow moving in the water, and a great white shark emerges from the depths and begins a slow motion munching of the terrified doomed seal. The narrator explains that the footage of the attack has been slowed down to 140th normal speed, presumably to make every instant of horror easier to savor and harder to forget. We've all witnessed such scenes many times on TV, and it's hard to argue against the cruelty of nature. When you're watching the flapping tail of a seal disappearing down the throat of a sea monster, or an antelope twitching in the grip of a cold-eyed lioness, thank God I'm safe, we think, sitting here in my sofa with my cheese doodles and a big gulp. But I've had occasion to hang around some seals in my time, and never, they never struck me as a particularly anxious animals. Every seal I've encountered was either snoozing on a warm rock or, fr or frolicking in the water with other seals. They looked happy, fit, and relaxed to me. Skeptical that a seal's lot in nature could be as bad as that slow-motion terror porn implied, I ran some numbers. It turns out that harbor seals live about 30 years. The gory death on that nature special took a few seconds in real time, so the ratio breaks down to roughly 30, 30 years of hanging out with friends, eating fresh fish, and soaking up the sun followed by a sudden, unanticipated, nearly painless demise. Even if that particular seal died in her prime, at 15 or 20 years of age, the ratio of pleasure to pain in her life was better than what most of us can expect. Along with its indifference and occasional cruelty, nature has surprisingly compassionate qualities as well. One example is the euphoria-inducing compounds called endorphins that are released in mammals precisely when they're needed most. For obvious reasons, there are a few first-hand accounts of, from people who have lived to describe the experience of being in the death grip of a predator. But the famous British explorer David Livingston gave an unusually articulate account of having been attacked by a lion on one of his African expeditions. Excerpt. I heard a shout, starting and looking half-round. I saw the lion just in the act of springing upon me. I was on a little height. He caught my shoulder as he sprang, and we both came to the ground below together. Growling horribly close to my ear, he shook me as a terrier does a rat. The shock produced a stupor similar to that which seems to be felt by a mouse after the first shake of a cat. 
It caused a sort of dreaminess in which there was no sense of pain nor feeling of terror, though quite conscious of all that was happening. The peculiar state is probably produced in all animals killed by carnivora, and if so, is a merciful provision by our benevolent creator for lessening the pain of death. Although Dawkins respects Darwin, and excerpt, although Dawkins respects Darwin above all thinkers, Darwin would certainly have found Dawkins's new Hobbesian terror of the natural world overwrought. At the end of a section of Origin of Species called Struggle for Life Most Severe Between Individuals and Varieties of the Same Species, Darwin wrote, When we reflect on this struggle, we may console ourselves with the full belief that the war of nature is not incessant, that no fear is felt, that death is generally prompt, and that the vigorous, the healthy, and the happy survive and multiply. Unquote. George Orwell famously noted, quote, Who controls the past controls the future, and who controls the present controls the past. Unquote. Indeed, and those who control the present have been misrepresenting the past for a long, long time, for centuries. We've heard the same scary stories back in 195 BC. Plautus declared that man is wolf to man. Homo homini lupus est. It's a short step from wolf eat wolf to Hobbes' five-part disdain for pre-civilized life to data-defying and proclamations about a bloody, desperate prehistory that never existed. The process of human self-domestication is fueled by vivid images of the ravenous beasts just outside the gates, waiting to devour anyone foolish enough to make a break for freedom. We are distracted from our immediate suffering by fairy tales about how terrible life used to be, and perhaps worst of all, many of us have been convinced that we carry the darkness within us in our selfish genes. Quote, it is simply human nature, we are told, to rape and kill and enslave, and anyone who thinks otherwise is a foolish romantic. Unquote. This messaging not only offends our decency and dignity, it insults our intelligence. The depiction of human nature embedded in the NPP isn't science, it's a marketing campaign for the status quo. The politics of perpetual fear is corrosive to our well-being and our innate capacities for cooperation, community, and kindness. Fear of terrorists, fear of running out of money, fear of getting old, fear of strangers, fear of death, fear of sharks, fear of being hit by lightning, fear of fear itself. It keeps us quiet and complacent in our supposedly protective cages. We're trapped in and by this distorting, demonizing view of human nature in the natural world, seen as the two faces of an enemy to be feared and conquered, rather than an ally to be honored and nourished. This pernicious, pernicious nonsense has us divided against ourselves, each other, and the planet itself. We live under suspicion of our own and each other's natural impulses, ashamed to be animals, participating in the accelerating destruction of a natural world we've been taught is out to tear us limb from limb to gnaw 
away from inside. It is all hyperbole aside, the deepest species level psychopathology imaginable. It would be hard to overstate how much the dual demonization of the natural world and of human nature has shaped modern sensitive sensibility. Politics, economics, foreign policy, criminal justice, our beliefs about the nobility of work, questions of how and whom we love, how we choose to give birth and opt to die. Virtually everything we think and do rests on the conviction that the untamed and uncivilized are dangerous, merciless, evil, and other. To question the catechism of steady progress from primeval darkness into the light of civilization and modernity is to invite ridicule and scorn largely because a ruthlessly competitive natural world is assumed to be the essential engine of both natural selection and capitalism. To be clear, it's true that Darwin argued that some individuals reproduce more successfully than others due to either natural or sexual selection, but differences in reproductive success don't require wildly unequal access to resources, endless misery, misery, or early death for any of the creatures involved. Evolution isn't propelled by suffering, it works via differences in fertile offspring. One can be a total loser in terms of genetic legacy as I am, having no descendants at all, and still live a long, happy life. The NPP, rather, in his classic book, Walden, Henry David Thoreau reveled against the worship of a superior man. Considering the ancient, concerning the ancient Egyptian pharaohs, he wrote, quote, As for the pyramids, there is nothing wrong, nothing to wonder at in them so much as the fact that so many men could be found degraded enough to spend their lives constructing a tomb for some ambitious booby whom it would have been wiser and manlier to have drowned in the Nile and then given his body to the dogs." Unquote. The NPP insists that we venerate the crooks, rapists, and pillagers credulous historians have repackaged as founders, conquerors, and civilizers. We erect statues and consecrate tombs to commemorate their indifference-making. But in fact, most of these monuments memorize memorialize the dark deeds of unhinged lunatics driven by rampant ego and raving greed. History, wrote Alexander Herzen, is the autobiography of a madman. And in historical fact, most of the supposed great men of history were criminals on a rampage. We celebrate them because they changed the world, quote-unquote, but where's the evidence that they changed it for the better? Isn't it more parsimonious to conclude that the wake left by these ambitious boobies shaped civilization to reflect their own twisted values and ambitions? There is no logically sound reason to believe that the present is the predetermined destiny of the past. That's the twisted line of thinking used by those who proclaim, I don't regret anything I've ever done because if I changed anything, I wouldn't be me. Quote, in that sense, Mr. Manson, parole is denied. Unquote. In Sex at Dawn, Casilda Jetha, 
and I call the process of looking back from perspe a perspective distorted by the present flinstonization. Take a look around and imagine a past based on what you see, just more primitive and rustic. After all, there is no arguing with the here and now, is there? Sure there is. George Bernard Shaw wrote the patriotism is your conviction that your country is superior to all others because you were born in it, unquote. The same blind conviction contaminates our assumptions about the historical era we happen to have been born into. Let's call it presentism. We're here now, so this is the best place to be. But the mere fact that we happen to be here doesn't mean there is necessarily any better than the than worlds that have been trampled on and discarded en route. That is, that this is the course that history happens to have taken doesn't mean it is the best possible outcome. We believe to believe, otherwise one would have to believe in some kind of predestination and argue that every toll paid along the way was worth it to get here. The Dark Ages, bubonic plague, millennia of slavery, unending war, uncountable genocides, disco, all of it. No doubt we've come a long way, but was it a long way up, a long way down, or just a long, long way?